Well, again, good morning and welcome. Glad you're, you're here with us at the Olathe Campus of Christ Community. My name's Nathan. I'm the campus pastor. Uh, it's good to be together. And as we continue to study the, the gospel of Matthew and to, to hear what God has for us from his word this morning, why don't, why don't we pray together? God, we come um, as needy people and so grateful that you have spoken to us. God, that you've shown us how you expect us to live, how, you, how you've created and made us. But not, not only that, God, you have sent your son to redeem us. And so, God, I pray that as we encounter these words, these stories today, God, I pray that you would give us open hearts. God, that you would encourage those who need comfort, that you would also challenge us and even rebuke us in the ways that we need that as well. We anticipate that you'll do these things, Lord Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen. So how many times have you prayed for a miracle? I mean, whether, whether you're like a Christian or not, uh, whether you even believe in miracles or not, um, how many times have you, have you longed for one? I mean, as I, as I was thinking through this this week, I mean, a, a few quick, uh, you know, situations jumped in my mind. I, I remember when Eden, our daughter, was a baby uh, and she stopped breathing um, and the subsequent night at, at Children's Mercy and the months that followed afterwards, right, uh, afraid that she would do it again and we wouldn't, we wouldn't be there. I think of moments in my own mess, right? The, the times when depression or whatever kind of feels like it, it overcomes. Um, I think about the situation of people I love. My, my mom, as she uh, dealt with cancer a, a few years back, or I think about a, a, um, dear loved ones in our family um, who had several miscarriages followed by a failed adoption, um, substance abuse in another, longing, right? Uh, God, would you just do something? Who, who, have, who here, right, has, has at some point like begged God to, to intervene? Of course. All of us, right? Probably to some extent. In fact, in fact, some of you, some of you here might even feel like, man, this is, this is my whole life, like is, is one of asking and waiting. Uh, others of you, maybe it's the, the current circumstance in which you find yourself and it's deep and you are overwhelmed by it. That's all, it's all you can see. And the reality is for those of us maybe who haven't felt it, you, you will. And we'll cry out, God, would you just do something? And then we hear words like these. We heard just a moment ago. and I'm just being honest here. I, I don't, part of me doesn't know whether or not I should be encouraged or insulted when I read them. Because just, just in these, these words in, in chapter 9, I mean, we're going to talk through these stories. To, we'll see Jesus, he, he raises a dead person. Uh, he heals a bleeding woman. He gives sight to two blind and speech to one guy who's unable to speak. And then the part we, we heard read, right? He goes about throughout all the places, right? Healing every disease and every affliction. I mean, it's clear Matthew as he's writing this, he's wanting to show us that, that Jesus, he's the Messiah, the one that's, that's come, right? That everything points to he is him and he's finally here. And he doesn't want us to miss that Jesus can. Like, whatever it is, um, you name it, he can do it, right? No, no, no matter what robs you of your sleep, whatever thing keeps you um, from feeling safe or whole, Two words always remain the same. Jesus can. 
But the problem is, even for those of us who believe that Jesus can, it so often feels like Jesus doesn't. He doesn't fix it. At least, at least not, like we, not like we want him to, not like we're, we're pleading to him to, to do, not, not quite like, like that. And sure, maybe, maybe we believe together, yes, Jesus can, but why? Why does it so often feel like he doesn't? Well, and I want to be upfront this morning, because um, other mornings I'm usually lying, I guess. As, <laughs> as I said that, it seems terrible. I was like, today I'm going to be honest with you. Um, no, that's not, that's not what I mean. Um, but I want to be clear right away that I'm not going to fix any of that tension. I just want to set the grounds. Like, I just created a whole lot of tension, right, because we feel that. We're not going to solve that. It's just, it's not possible. And yet what we're going to try to do this morning as we, as we tell this story from so long ago is to, um, to look at three, I mean, coping mechanisms is probably the wrong word, but like ways to, to trust in the midst of the tension. Not, not to eliminate it, not to brush it under the rug, but how do, we, how do we avoid despair and cynicism in light of God's incredible power and his seeming absence? That's what we're going to do. So we've, we've been studying Matthew for a while together. Uh, Matthew is one of the earliest source documents outlining the, the life of Jesus. Uh, and, and Matthew has been telling us these, these last, really these nine chapters over and over again, trying to create a case that Jesus is the most unlikely king, unexpected, uh, and unlike anything we can even imagine. And last week, right, we saw Matthew in the story himself as Jesus calls him to be his follower. Matthew, he's a tax collector, right? He's like the lowest of all lows. And Jesus says to him, follow me. And Matthew, Matthew responds. And in, in chapter nine, where we were last week, we, Jesus said, right, the reason he goes after people like tax collectors and prostitutes is because he came for the, the sick, not for the healthy. And now, I mean, it's almost like Matthew's just sh- showing us that not just metaphorically, but even literally, because Jesus goes out from that place and he heals person after person of their, their physical problems that they experience. For Matthew shows us Jesus can. Whatever it is, he can. So we heard the end of this passage read. So let's, let's back up to, to verse 18, really where this sort of string of multiple miracles happens. If you have a Bible, go ahead and, and turn there. If you want to follow along, that's fine. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9, verse, verse 18. And so you got you to imagine with me Jesus teaching, because that's how we ended last week, right? He's, he's talking um, about, you know, who he is and what he's, what he's come to do. Um, and as he's teaching, this guy comes up to him. And this time, it's, it's the opposite of Matthew the tax collector, like this low sort of bottom dweller. This time, it's a ruler in, in the Jewish synagogue, someone of, of high respect and, and authority in that culture. And he comes to Jesus, kneels before him, and pleads with him, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Okay, by this point, Jesus was known as a miracle worker, right? His fame was beginning to spread all throughout the land. This is really before a lot of the hostility and, and hatred that would become part of, of Jesus' ministry. It's, it's, it's before that. Everybody still loves, loves Jesus and believes that he can do incredible things, but, but nobody Nobody raises the dead. I mean, what this guy believes Jesus can do, and in some ways I'm like, okay, this guy is just in a moment of absolute desperation, right? He's, he's there watching his child die, and 
maybe, maybe this miracle worker can do something. But the reality is, I mean, you don't have to live in the 21st century to believe that dead people stay dead. That is, that's universal, right? It's not something we discovered with the scientific age, right? People, people know the difference, and no one has that power. And yet this Jewish ruler believes Jesus can. And so they get up and go. Meanwhile, it's like they're on the way and they are interrupted. A woman, um, which in that culture, uh, women were wrongly uh, pushed to the margins. Considered stories just not worth telling, but Matthew. Matthew believes otherwise, and so does, so does Jesus in the way that he approaches this, this woman. But this, this woman, it's, it's, it's worse than that. Not only is she just sort of pushed to the edges of society because she, she's a woman, um, but she's been bleeding for 12 years and she can't stop it. This is, this is more than just inconvenience, more than painful. This, this for her is, is shame. Uh, it, it means culturally that she is unclean, pushed even further to the margins, to the, to the fringe of her society. Because culturally, if she were to touch anyone, then they'd become unclean. Or if anyone were to touch her, then they'd become unclean. And so she's an outcast. You know, unwanted, dis- discarded on, on the, the very margins of, of everything. She's unworthy to go to the temple, unworthy for community, unworthy for love. And yet... Breaking all the taboos, she sneaks her way through the crowd. I mean, because they're distracted, right? They just want to see what Jesus is going to do about this dead girl, right? I mean, they, they, they are on a mission to go and f- figure out what Jesus actually intends to do in this, in this situation. I, so I picture her just kind of inching her way through. I mean, inevitably touching everybody along the way, but not, not caring at this point. Because she believes, right? She reaches out and touches the garment of this rabbi, believing that even that he, he, he can do. If, only, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. So she touches him. Of course, Jesus is irate. Now, now I'm unclean, you crazy woman, right? No, that's not, not it at all. In fact, it's amazing the way he responds to her. Look, look what he says. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. I love that he calls her daughter. Like even in the midst of the context of the story, right, Jesus is going to, to try to raise this other guy's daughter and he calls this outcast, this disregarded woman his daughter. And when's the last time anyone had ever spoken to her with that kind of kindness? Who had ever allowed himself to be touched, right, by this this woman? And in that moment, her shame, her pain, her low status, all of it is forever removed. That's all we know about her. That's kind of like in this moment, I mean, I picture the rulers like, uh, Jesus, what are we, like, why, why did we stop? Let's, let's keep going. What about, what about my daughter, right? That's the real sort of story that's happening. This is, that, that was just an interruption, essentially. And when Jesus gets to this, this man's house, the mourners are already mourning. In that, in that culture, you would, you would hire 
mourners. It's weird to us, but that's part of how they grieved, right? And you hire people to, to wail and to moan and to experience this, the, the sheer agony. And the, the mourners are already there. And I mean, honestly, I just, I cannot even imagine the pain of losing a child. Like if there's any thought that just makes me just sick inside, that I, and I, some of you have experienced that. I mean, some of you have knelt by that bed, right, and wondered why Jesus didn't. And Jesus, when he gets there, I, I, I don't really know why he said it. It's, it seems a little bit weird, but he said, ah, she's just asleep, right? And of course, all the mourners at that point, they stopped their wailing, uh, and they laughed. They laugh at Jesus because, frankly, I mean, they, they know better, right? They know the difference, and they know no one has any power to change it. Once you're dead, you're dead. That's it. And yet Jesus, he goes into the house, takes the dead girl by the hand, which again would have made Jesus ceremonially unclean, right? Culturally, you, just, you can't go around touching dead bodies in that culture. I mean, not, not that we'd want to in our culture, right? But it's a big deal. And she's dead. She has no faith, right? She's gone. There's nothing left to commend herself to this, this rabbi, but that doesn't stop Jesus. And imagine, imagine Jesus in that moment reaching out and, and taking your hand, your, your cold, lifeless hand, as life surges through your veins again. As the creator of everything, the one who put all the, the molecules together again, gives life back to you, except except it's your daughter. I mean, really, truly, put yourself, your daughter, your child was dead, but now lives. Jesus can. But why stop here? I mean, Matthew continues, right? These stories are all sort of strung, strung together because now the rumors are spreading like crazy. This is, this is a whole new level of Messiah awesomeness, right? They, just, they didn't have a category for anyone to be able to do anything like this like Jesus did. It's almost, almost like Jesus walks out of this house and already like the crowds have multiplied around them and there's these two blind guys. They can't see Jesus, but they know, they, maybe they just hear the commotion. They know what's going on. Maybe they have somebody point them out, but they cry out, son of David, have mercy on us. Which is essentially like, like saying, calling Jesus the Messiah, the King, right? They, they recognize, they see who he is, even, even in their blindness. And would you have mercy? So again, Jesus stops. He looks into their dead eyes and says to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord. And so if the one who designed the retina and the iris and the cornea and pupil and optic nerve and all those things, the one who invented them and put them together in the first place, reached out his hands, touches these blind men, men's eyes, and everything comes into focus. According to your faith, be it done to you, he says. Okay, Matthew, we get it, right? Jesus can, all right? Um, but even here, as, the, as they're leaving, there's, there's one more. There's a guy who's unable to speak, who, who's unable to cry out and ask for help from the Messiah whose faith isn't on display. 
And yet Jesus gives him speech. And really what, what Matthew is doing here, um, I mean, he's showing us kind of in this, this quick succession that Jesus, he, he's, more than, he's more than just a good teacher. He's, he's more than just an ordinary miracle worker, right? In fact, when we get to Matthew 11, um, this conversation with John the Baptist, Jesus shows that he, he's, these things are all pointing to something bigger. In fact, they point back to, to Isaiah, what the prophet Isaiah had written 700 years earlier before this. Uh, Isaiah knew that this day would come. Isaiah writes, They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God, strengthen the weak hands, and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart. I mean, how many of us would say, that's, that, that's me? Be strong. Fear not, behold, your God will come. He will come and save you. Then, Isaiah says, the, the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man shall leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And so when we get to Matthew 11, I mean, that, that moment in Matthew 11, uh, Jesus even sort of admits it. He declares it for himself because what's happening in that situation, so this is a couple chapters later, uh, John the Baptist is in prison. And John, John is, it's Jesus' cousin, right? And he is soon to be executed uh, for standing with Jesus. I mean, see, Jesus doesn't fix everything for everyone like, like, we, want it, like we want him to, right? Um, for John, in his story, Jesus doesn't. And in in his despair, John sends friends to Jesus. It's kind of a final, final moment, sort of asking point. Are you, are you the one or not? Like, are, you, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we've been waiting for, hoping for? Really what he's asking there is, is my suffering worth it? Does the pain that I'm experiencing account for anything at all? And Jesus' response says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them, which is, which is Jesus' way of saying, yeah, that's me. That's who I am. And so back in, in chapter nine, where we're at, right, Matthew summarizes all this with the words that we heard at the start, right, that Jesus goes out everywhere proclaiming the good news, healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus can. And for those of us who believe and rejoice, and if he did it then, he can do it now. We believe that and we, we, we pray for it. But don't you ever feel a little bit more like John the Baptist? I mean, John, who'll be beheaded in just a few chapters for standing with Jesus. I mean, why, do, why doesn't Jesus just take care of it already, right? Why does it sometimes feel like he had compassion on them, but not on us? I mean, I'm, I'm not alone in asking these questions, am I? You see, we, we live somewhere in the middle believing that Jesus has come, that, that he has promised us everything we could possibly need ever through his life, death, and resurrection. We know that we have it. We're just not there yet. We're not yet whole, and we're waiting, longing 
and sometimes begging for things to be made right. And in this place of tension, how do we remain faithful? How do we, how do we trust? How do we learn from these miracles while avoiding despair um, or cynicism? Let me, let me draw out those three observations, three essentials for us as we, as we live in the struggle. First, first and you, can't, you can't miss this in these stories, that Jesus understands our fears, but he isn't afraid. I mean, it's so, it's so clear in, in the actions, that, that what happens here, that Jesus understands our fears, but he's, he's not afraid. I know it doesn't, it doesn't eliminate the tension, but it gives me hope on my way through, right? That he understands like no other God possibly could. Because what other God came? What, what other God grieves alongside grieving people or feels the shame of a discarded woman, takes pity on the blind and the, and, and the mute? Uh, what, what, other, what other God cried out himself to the Father for relief? What, what, other, what other God wept at the funeral of a friend or knows what it's like to be abandoned by those closest to him? Who, who understands disease and depression and disappointment? People, he, he lived these things. And he touched it. I mean, in these stories, literally, right? I'm struck by that. I'm, isn't it interesting how Matthew draws out all the physical touch in this story? Because Jesus doesn't have to do that, right? And there are stories where Jesus doesn't, where he heals people from a distance and just simply with a word. But in the story, like the woman, right, she touches, she touches Jesus. And, and Jesus reaches out and grabs the hand of, of the dead girl. He touches the eyes of the blind. Matthew, he wants to show us that this isn't just theory for Jesus, not just theory for us, that our God feels it. Like he, he may not always fix it, but he, he feels it, he knows for he has compassion. You see that in verse 36. It's, it's kind of an unusual word in, in the original language for compassion there. It's not the normal one. Um, it's, it's sort of like this visceral, almost physical response to pain at the pain of others. Uh, it's, it's the kind of, of compassion or, or pain that a mom would have for her child. It's tender and, and familial. It's, it's full of feeling and empathy. He understands our fears, but he's not afraid and so where does fear have you this morning? It's not that there aren't things to be afraid of. Of course there are. But I, I love how Paul Tripp def, defines fear. He writes, for the believer, fear is always God forgetful. It's always forgetfulness. We, we forget that Jesus can. And we forget that even, even if he doesn't, it's not because he doesn't love us. It's not because he somehow fell asleep at the wheel, right, and everything broke while he was off the clock or something. It's not, it's not because he doesn't understand. And we see that in this story. He understands our fears, but he's not afraid. Second, and this is, this is really important, but it's so stinking hard to remember. Jesus is, is more concerned with what's in us than around us. More concerned with what's in us than what's around us. The, the most important thing in these stories, and there's a lot that happens in these stories, right? But the, the most important thing that Matthew is trying to do here, it's not, it's not the man receiving back his daughter. 
It's not the woman getting a new chance at life. It's that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of God, the, the one with all power and authority and, and con- compassion, which is, which is why Matthew um, draws out all the responses in the story as well, right? I mean, he tells us how everybody is, how, how people are processing Jesus, like the, the crowds at the beginning, the mourners, like they laugh, right? They just, they don't have a category for this, which is, is understandable, right? Who can, who can blame them? Uh, the Pharisees, uh, towards the, the end of the story, um, those are like the religious do-gooders, right? They're kind of the, frankly, the, the angry sort of religious bad guys in the, the gospel stories, essentially. Um, they see all this, and they actually acknowledge that Jesus is doing these things. So they don't argue with the miracles, which is pretty amazing, right? They say, yeah, he's doing all this stuff. But they say he's doing it by the power of, of Satan, right? Uh, so they say that he's doing it, but they push, push his power. I mean, that's how hard, how hard their hearts are. Meanwhile, the crowds, at the end of this section, the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. I mean, it's like they don't even know what to, to do with it, right? But for those closest to it, I mean, you just can't help but notice their faith, right? And and let's be really clear here. It's not their faith that heals them. It's Jesus, right? And Jesus chooses to heal whoever, whenever, however he wants to. I mean, keep in mind, right? John the Baptist, Jesus refers to John the Baptist as the greatest prophet who ever lived. I mean, talk about a person of faith. He dies in prison. His faith didn't, didn't save him from that circumstance, right? Don't let, don't let anyone tell you that if you just have a little bit more faith, God will do whatever you want. People say that. They mean well. It's not what the Bible teaches. God, God is, the way he works around us and within us is, is a deep mystery to us. We don't, we don't manipulate God with our faith. He's in charge, not us. And yet, in these stories, you just can't help but miss, or can't help but, but recognize the, their faith, right? It's, it is, it's first their desperation, right? They just don't have, they're out of options. They don't have anything else. So their desperation drives them to faith because they, don't, they have nothing left to turn to. They, everything else has failed them. And so their desperation drives them to faith, but their faith then is what drives them to Jesus, what, what impels them to go to him and say, Jesus, can you, would you, can't, can you do something in, in this situation? And so they believe in the only one who can, and they go to him. And I mean, I have to wrestle with this. Like, where do I go in those moments for me? Like, those moments of desperation or doubt or worry or fear or loneliness or disappointment, whatever it is, right? Like, where do you go for a little bit of comfort? Food, right? I love to eat my feelings. Scaffigan says, my feelings are delicious, right? Um, or TV, right? Or anything, anything to distract, sleep. Like, these are the places where I'm, I gravitate towards in those moments. I just don't, don't want to think about it. I want something to make me feel a little bit better, even if it's just for a moment. And something like prayer, scripture, worship, community. I mean, how quickly we withdraw from community in the moments that are hardest, right? When, frankly, when we need the people around us most. Where do you go for relief? For hope? I mean, yes, of course, God cares about our circumstances. But he is way more concerned about what's in us than around us. 
of what those things are doing in here. It's why, for example, you know, when I pray for whatever, right, the needs of our congregation, um, you have, you've, you know, put in prayer requests or people around me that I'm close to when I pray, I don't spend a lot of time praying for, for healing or God, for that God would fix it. I mean, I do pray for that, and I certainly believe that God can do that. But I'm just being honest. What I pray most, God, help us to trust God, no matter what, help that person believe that you're good and that you're good to them, that you love them and that you died for them, that you will, you will do anything to make it whole. But it might look different in your, in your ways. And because no matter, what, no matter what we're facing, the real battle is always in here. And then finally, and I need this reminder, man, I need it. Jesus is more focused on his mission than mine. Jesus is more focused on his mission than mine, which as much as that annoys me, uh, oftentimes, because I, you know, I'm the most important person in the universe, right? Um, it's also really, really good news. I mean, it may not feel like it at first, like when our, our, my will is sort of thwarted by his, right? But this is, this is good news because, I mean, I can tell you more often than not, my mission, it's ease, comfort, money, good health, right? Success, uh, just what distraction, pleasure. I mean, you name it, right? My mission oftentimes is me. And it's not that Jesus is unconcerned about those things. It's, it's that we can't for a moment think that he came to this earth and died on a cross so that I could have a slightly happier 80 years. Like that's the sum total of why we do this thing together. For when he invites us to himself, he's not inviting us to healthier bodies, bigger bank accounts, or easier lives. He's inviting us to follow him, to be made whole, and to join him on his mission, which leads to a cross. I mean, in verse, verse 36, let me read that again. Jesus says, when, or Matthew says, when, when he saw the crowds, Jesus saw them, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In the very next chapter, we're going to see this next week, that he, he sends out his followers. Frankly, in places where they're going to be abused, where life is not going to be easy for them, but they're going to proclaim the good news that Jesus has finally come. And for some of us, For some of us, if we would just spend a little bit less time focused on our own personal missions, right? And more time working for his. If I just spend a little bit less time obsessed, right, with my own little kingdom, right, and more, more time praying that his kingdom would come. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe that would be miracle enough. Jesus can. <laughs> There's never a problem or heartache in which those two words aren't true. You name it, he can do it. And I know I, I, I can't fix the tension between he can and he doesn't. And yet I know why Jesus came. And if you think about it, even, even he once prayed to the Father, I mean, essentially for a miracle, and the Father said no. I mean, it's a, it was the night before his execution. He, he says to the, God the Father, he says, you know, if there's any other way, 
Like if there's any other way we can, we can do this, this thing, accomplish this mission without me having to go to a cross and suffer all that, that shame and rejection and, and pain and agony, if there's any way, let's do it that way instead. But not my will, yours. And the father said, no, there is no other way. And so Jesus willingly, gladly went to that cross, taking upon himself all of our sin and guilt and shame. But not, not just that, he t- takes all of our fear and disappointment and loss, all of our grief and disease and, and everything. He, he, he bears it himself on the cross and he walks out of that grave alive. So that those of us who know him, who continue to believe that he can, we can say it loud and clear, even though, even though it sometimes feels like Jesus doesn't, because of the resurrection, whatever it is, maybe, maybe not today, maybe not even in, even in this life, but he will make it right. Every problem will be made right. Every loss will be restored. Everything that you've missed out on will be fulfilled. And all that we ache for will be made whole. You know, as I was working on this, this sermon this week, I couldn't help but think of an old uh, friend, um, his name was James. Some of you know, some of you knew James. Um, James died of cancer a few years ago. He was 36. He was part of, part of our church. Spent a lot of time with James. He left behind his wife and, and two kids. Um, and I just, I remember so clearly, and this is what I thought of as I was thinking through this text and how we, how we rest, how hard it is. I thought of James because at his, at his funeral, one of the things I said um, was, was basically like, you know, don't ever say that James lost, lost the battle with cancer. Um, yeah, cancer killed him after, after 10, maybe 11 long, painful years. But it didn't win. That, that's not who he is. That's not who he is now. That's not the definition of his life. Because James, not that it was by any means easy for him, But James continued to believe that God is good, that he loves me, that even in the midst of this, he will have the last word. He defines my reality. But James didn't lose his battle. God won that battle through him. And just just as Jesus reached out his, his hands and touched the eyes of the blind, for all of us, and, and whatever you face, if, if, if you belong to him, if you've placed your trust in him, then he promises, Jesus himself promises to one day reach out and wipe every tear from your eyes. Every tear you've ever experienced, every, every loss, every heartache, every pain, right? Because it says at the end of all things that death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. For he is making all things new. Jesus can. And friends, here's the best part. Jesus will. Let's pray. God, help us to believe. God, help us to trust in you. God, I just, I, I know in this room there's so much pain. Mistakes, heartaches, just junk in a broken world. So God, I, I pray for all of us, regardless of, of where we're at and, and feeling the, the pain or the heaviness of the world, God, help us to believe that you can. 
And that even if you don't, you still, you love us so much that you came. And that our biggest problem, sin and death, that you've, you've worked out a cure. And in that cure, all will be made right. Help us to believe. And help us to worship you now, Lord Jesus. We thank you.